Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at our supporting sponsor, ETSU's Bill Gadden College of Pharmacy. It is the last Thursday of June, 2023. Got two papers to talk about today, but quick programming note. Um, I've got two episodes already recorded for the next two weeks, for the first two weeks of July. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a mini um, uh, research, uh, investigational research uh, module. So uh, maybe prime listening for PGY2 Oncology Pharmacy residents while you're collecting data in December. Save these uh, talking about investigational drug services and phase one clinical trials with some special guests, which you will see uh, in the coming weeks in your um in your feeds, wherever you get fine podcasts like this one. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about some of the, the evolution in uh, non-small cell lung cancer and, um, and uh, renal cell carcinoma in the metastatic setting. But first let's talk about um, you know, this growing trend of preoperative immune, immunotherapy plus chemotherapy uh, um, in, uh, in non-small cell lung cancer. So we had our Nadim study, which was published in 2020. It was a Spanish study. I think it was a Spanish study. And it was a small number of patients. It was 46 patients, and they gave them nivolumab plus chemo, and they got carboplatin-based chemotherapy, uh, followed by surgery, and then nivolumab for like six months or a year. Uh, and they had a pathologic complete response rate of 63%, which is incredibly high, um, very high uh, pathologic complete response rate uh, in that study. Uh, that was Nadim. Um, they published some more results um, in, in 2022 and uh, got people really excited about this. We've had some FDA approvals for this, uh, of course. Sorry, that it was not that was not pathologic complete. Yeah, it was pathologic complete response. 63% seems too good to be true. Smaller study. Okay. Um, recently, we've had uh, the big phase three nivolumab study. I think that's Checkmate 816. Uh, last week, uh, or in the ASCO entourage, we talked about Keynote 671, which is Pembro plus cisplatin-based chemotherapy in the new adjuvant setting. All these randomized studies are doing new adjuvant chemo plus a checkpoint inhibitor compared to just chemo, three cycles of chemo, then surgery, sometimes followed by adjuvant immunotherapy, but no adjuvant chemotherapy in most cases. So the folks in the control arm are getting three cycles of chemo and that's it. Whereas if they are surgically resectable, which by, by the inclusion criteria they are, they could go to surgery and then get four cycles of chemo. So all these folks in the control arm are getting undertreated by like, you know, getting one fewer cycle of chemo. And, and what that chemo is and the dosing, of course, I think is going to be important. So this brings us to Nadim 2, published this week in the New England Journal of Medicine. This is a phase two study. It's a comparative phase two study, but it's small, all right? So it's, it's only 87 patients, 86 patients. They wanted 90. They randomized two to one to uh, neoadjuvant nivolumab plus carboplatin-based chemo then surgery, and then adjuvant nivolumab for six months. The control arm just gets three cycles of chemo, then surgery, and they just, like, they haven't come to clinic to say, hey, how you're doing? Let's do a scan to see uh, when you progress. Um, now, what is consistent in this study with what we've seen is very high pathologic complete response rates uh, by including uh, an immune checkpoint inhibitor with chemo part of treatment. In this study, the pathologic complete response rate is 37% um, compared to 7% in the control group in um, in the uh, Checkmate 816, it's 24% versus, I think, 2%. Again, we talked about in Nadeem, it's 63%. Uh, in the, the Keynote 671 with Pembro, that PCR was 18%. Um, 
and Keynote 671, they use cisplatin. Here they're using carboplatin. So we're seeing, you know, pathologic complete response rates, meaning when they do the, when they do the surgery and the pathologist looked at the tumor or what's left of the tumor on the microscope, they don't see any viable tumor. Okay, and that PCR we're gonna come back to uh, in a minute, but seeing numbers of 20 to 30% consistently, although with a fairly wide range from 18% all the way up to 63% um, in that original Nadim study uh, from, from now three years ago. Um, now, it was a randomized study. It's small, but we do have improvements in uh, progression-free survival, and it's a progression-free survival estimate, right? So they're using the Katmeyer method to say the number of people that came before, how they've done through two years, we're gonna predict that the people who've only been on study for 18 months are gonna follow a similar path. That's why it's a 24-month estimate. Um, but they're seeing PFS estimates at 24 months of 67%, in the experimental arm compared to 40.9%. To That's a delta of about 25%. The delta in piece, the, the, um, the number of people who got surgery um, was uh, 93% in the experimental group compared to 69%. That's a delta of 24%. 24-month overall survival estimate is um, 85% versus 63.6%. That's a delta of about 21%. So one of the key things here is by get, it appears to be by getting a better response pre-treatment, you're more likely to get surgery, which is gonna be the curative part here, we think, for early stage, um, or for not early stage, but stage three non-small cell lung cancer, because we see the number of people who get surgery is improved by 24% by getting nivolumab, and your 24-month PFS appears to be better by 25%, and then your 24-month OS seems to be better by about 21%. Uh, you would assume then all the folks in the control arm, when they progress, they get uh, immunotherapy at that point as well. And you, maybe you see some of that with that uh, delta and overall survival catching up uh, by a few percentage points. Um, now we can really trouble, or not troubleshoot, but really cross trial caveat this to death and looking at the, you know, there's a little bit more PDL one patients in the nivolumab study than the, the pembrolizumab study and all that sort of stuff. But one thing that is, uh, I think, maybe the most important from this is, um, uh, well, one thing that's important and one thing that's interesting. So of the patients in this study that are, um, had a pathologic complete response, um, none, zero relapse at two years. So if you were in that 20%, 30% who get a PCR with Nevo plus chemo, maybe Pembro plus chemo up front, um, yeah, there's a, and then you get some adjuvant nivolumab in the case of this study. Uh, none of those patients relapsed at, at two years with, they say, 95% maturity here. All right, so I think that's important, um, and, and we've seen that be predictive uh, of, uh, or prognostic, and I think that's important for these, po for, uh, for determining, you know, who is maybe going to, you're, you're going to give these folks, uh, do the new adjuvant chemo to, which is going to be a growing trend, I think, in, in clinics and hospitals. The next thing that's interesting here is, this original Nadim study had a pathologic complete response rate of 63%. Here it's 37%. And the authors, by the way, if you're a lung cancer nerd, the supplement has tons and tons and tons of information that you can pour through. They actually, the authors do a comparison of the, they, they do the, the dangerous cross-trial comparison from Nadim to Nadim 2, looking for differences between the study populations to account for why did the folks in Nadim had a higher PCR rate than in Nadim 2. Um, there's a little bit higher rate of, of non-smokers there. There's some folks with maybe some, some worse staging in, uh, in this study versus the earlier study. But the authors say in the original study, their, their first study, Nadim, they used carbo-AUC6 
In this study, they're using carbo-AUC5. And that could be, you know, you're given a lower dose of chemo. Chemo, I think, is important for cancer treatment as an oncology pharmacist. So, so given a higher dose uh, may uh, conceivably would confer a better PCR rate. I would also assume that giving cisplatin over carboplatin would as well. So I think we're going to see more of this, uh, using this up front. Uh, again, and again, I, you, this overall survival benefit they say here, you know, the 95% the, the of console does not cross one. They're not, they didn't do an alpha spending method. It's a phase two study. So I, this is not definitive that it improves overall survival here. Okay. Um, I, you, I don't think you can say that from a, from a phase two study with fewer than 100 patients. Um, so keep that in mind if people try to say that. The PCR stuff is very promising here uh, as well, but seeing more and more of this. All right. And the next I'm going to talk about is from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. And this is a pooled analysis of favorable risk metastatic renal cell carcinoma. So our favorite guidelines say that there are three preferred options to treat metastatic renal cell carcinoma with favorable risk using either the old uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center uh, prognostic scoring system, which is from the interferon era before TKI, and now we have the, the IMDC method, which is valid in the TKI era. We are now in the immune checkpoint inhibitor era. We don't have uh, a risk stratification for the, uh, that incorporates data in patients receiving immune checkpoint inhibitors as of yet, at least to my knowledge. Now, the three preferred options here, uh, based on the, you know, the, the national uh, network comprehensive guidelines, uh, folks, um, are Pembro plus Axitinib, Nivolumab plus Cabozantinib, um, and Linvatinib plus Pembrolizumab, okay? So three immune checkpoint inhibitor TKI combinations. That's what they say are preferred. Now that preference is based on three large, you know, randomized controlled clinical trials that show in a whole population improvement, overall survival, progression-free survival response rate. Um, if you look at the subgroup analyses, you do see benefit in terms of PFS and overall response rate in all three subgroups, but the overall survival benefit appears to be greatest, perhaps even only in those folks with intermediate and poor risk. So what FDA did is they pulled those three studies plus the axitinib velumab study, uh, which has not yet shown an overall survival benefit in the entire trial population. They pulled those four studies and looked just at favorable risk, and they find... Um, consistent with what uh, the uh, investigators of those studies have seen is benefit with regards to progression-free survival and response rate, but not overall survival compared to sunitinib, okay? Um, the over the Katmire curve overlaps perfectly. There's absolutely not even a hint of improvement overall survival by using an immune checkpoint inhibitor plus a TKI compared to just single-agent, old-fashioned uh, sunitinib. I would be really interested to see if they had just done uh, a similar pooled analysis, excluding the Evelumab study, not because uh, it's a negative study, but because it is a PDL1 inhibitor, whereas the Nivolumab and uh, the uh, Nivolumab and Pembro studies are PD1 inhibitors, and that may make a difference conceivably. I think that would have been an interesting sensitivity analysis. They did a sensitivity analysis for sarcomatoid features with some missing data that didn't affect the results. Um, this is now, I think, the third week in a row I'm going to reference the Sonia study of uh, when to incorporate and sequence cyclin-dependent 4K uh, CDK, CDK4-6 inhibitors in breast, metastatic breast cancer. In the favorable risk folks here for renal cell carcinoma, I think if you gave them sunitib or probably pazopinib first line 
and then Nivolumab upon progression, you probably have the same overall survival as if you did Axitinib Pembro, followed by Cabozatinib at progression. That's my guess. That's my guess. Uh, and I don't know if we'll get a, a study like that. I'll also point out uh, this, the IMDC's International Metastatic Renal Cell uh, Consortium uh, Database uh, Consortium. I think it looks at uh, six factors, neutrophilia, thrombocytosis, so high, high ANC, high platelets, uh, less than one year from diagnosis to systemic therapy, performance status, anemia, and hypercalcemia. So six factors that are pretty easy to look at just with labs. One thing that, that kind of trips folks up sometimes is the year from diagnosis to metastatic treatment. If you're diagnosed with metastatic disease and you start treatment then, you know, that's, that's less than a year. So those folks are all intermediate. So most of our favorable risk folks are, uh, they had a stage two, stage three, uh, disease more than a year ago and, and has recurrent and now metastatic disease. That's most of your favorable risk folks with no other uh, of those risk factors. Now, this risk stratification might change in the future as someone validates uh, risk stratification features in the immune checkpoint inhibitor area. The authors um, are not saying don't not to use this, um, not to use combination therapy. Um, I think it's perfectly reasonable for those folks to do first-line TKI, a single agent, but they are saying that you should use shared decision-making. And they also provide a caveat here that, you know, for most of these folks, the median follow-up is, is less than four years, around three years. And for your favorable risk patients, you know, the median OS in the TKI era is like 40 months. Um, and now you add immune checkpoint numbers, you hope it's longer than that. So with longer follow-up, we might see this overall survival benefit, um, you know, in some more years so that there is still a chance that uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor TKI combination does actually improve overall survival compared to first-line TKI alone. Um, but again, you got to follow these patients for a long time because they have a good prognosis. They are going to do well on average and we probably need a study like Sonia. Uh, we need a sequencing study to really answer this question, uh, I think, for these folks. Now, it's maybe not as... Um, as urgent as it is for intermediate and porous folks, you know the porous folks have a median OS of like 10 months. You know they're 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 in uh, in sorry shape, so uh, they need uh, they need urgent treatment. But the favorable risk folks, uh, you know, are are not as common as our intermediate risk folks in this disease state. So uh, I'll have these in the show notes if you want to look at these on your own, which I encourage you to do. Don't just take my word for any of this stuff for crying out loud. And um, I will. Um, uh, You'll hear me again in the next two weeks uh, with some interviews. Uh, if there's any, you know, urgent breaking news or new studies published, things like that, new drugs approved, we'll wait to the end of July uh, to cover those. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDietnib. You can follow the podcast uh, at OncoFarmPod on both Twitter and Instagram. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. <laughs>